What's up, everybody? Episode six of the AOS podcast. Super excited about this show. This will be this will be the first show where you go hear me talk a lot less because <laughs> we got somebody ten times smarter than I could ever be. But this is going to be a dope show again. AOS podcast. If you're first time listening, if you're watching us on Facebook, we want you to like and share. Remember, when you share, don't do that Facebook watch because it takes away the opportunity for the comments. But if you're new to us, we'd like to welcome you to our show. Uh, wait, no, one more, but he'll, he'll be on. Um, and we are streaming live on the A Black Hands podcast. So shout out to Unc again for, for the plug and showing us some love. If you love what you hear, we'd like you to ask to like our Facebook page, the AOS Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube page, the AOS Podcast, and like us on Twitter. We are the AOS Podcast. Uh, so follow us and everything like that. Doc, man, this is... This is your show, brother, and I'm ready for it. So we got a, a major guest tonight. So if you could, suppose what we got tonight. So I, I, I'm not going to read her bio because we're going to give her a chance. I don't want to do her any injustices by trying to capture how amazing this woman is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually tell you uh, how I came to know Miss Beth Hub. Um, but before that, I'm going to give everybody a little rewind to kind of talk about how we've gotten to where we're at today. Uh, so two weeks ago, episode five. Uh, we talked about the 9-11 and the realist ed movement. We talked about a little bit about Kaepernick and kind of some of the social justice moves we were making in our buildings as three black male principals um, doing our things where we're at in Indianapolis, California, uh, Grandview, KC, Missouri. And one of our viewers, viewer Castro, you know, asked a question and said, hey, how do white teachers and administrators start that work in their areas and do the things that they have to do? And we said, hey, we're going to try to, you know, dive into that at some point. And that was Friday, Saturday morning. I'm driving home from Walmart and did my grocery shopping. I'm getting ready to get on my lead lap Twitter chat. And I'm like, you know what? I'm about to hit up the Destiny's Child of Education and ask if they want to come on the show. Because uh, they've been they've been doing some phenomenal work over the summer. We're going to get into that. Um, so that's kind of how we got to where we're at. And I see Viewer Castro in the comments. Welcome back this week. This show is just for you. We dedicate this to you, Viewer Castro. Uh, so... Let me take you back to uh, May of 2019. May of 2019, I had just accepted the, the position to be principal at Grandview Middle School. Um, had an amazing interview. Talked about my plan. Had my you know my 30, 60, 90 day entry plan that I had typed up. Uh, two days after that, I went to St. Louis and got hooded to become Dr. Smith. And I'm, I'm I'm feeling good. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm on cloud nine. Uh, had just got back from New Orleans, taking my daughter down there for incoming freshman weekend at Xavier. And I'm one day I'm walking through Barnes and Nobles and it hits me like, you really about to be a principal and you got this amazing plan, but how you actually gonna make that work? Like, what are you gonna do? And I'm strolling through all the little education books, like trying to find something, get something to help me, you know, do what I'm gonna do. And this red book just sticks out to me, and it says "Lead like a pirate." I'm like, oh, interesting. So I pick it up, I read the intro, and talks about kind of why they wrote the book. And I'm like, okay. I feel this. So that was like, I don't know what day of the week it was, but within two days, I had read the whole book. Like, I, you know, I mean, the book was so practical. Like, I'm like, it's almost like God was like, here's your game plan on being an effective principal right here in, in these pages. It was so good that I went back to Barnes and Nobles that, that next week and bought two more copies for my APs. Wrote a note to my APs, my brand new, you know, I'm coming in new. You know, they've been in the building, wrote a note to them, personal note, uh, kind of like what I wanted our team to be. When they both got both of them a $25 Starbucks gift card, put it in the book, 
on their last day of work, I came up to the school and said, hey, over the summer, I want you to read this book, go to Starbucks, have some coffee on me. But this book is going to revolutionize what we're going to do next year. Um, and there's a lot of takeaways, but I would tell you the one thing that I took away from the book, uh, two things. One, chapter seven, set your compass. Uh, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I went back to that book. I mean, it's that chapter just really it helped me develop my why as a leader. And I stuck to it no matter what. And then um, after that, um, basically, I had an opportunity to be a part of Missouri Leadership Academy, um, the 35th cohort. And I'm sitting at the 35th cohort at the first day. We were in Columbia, Columbia, Missouri, and I'm talking to my table about this book. I'm like, y'all got this book, Lee Like a Pirate. It is like, you need to go get it. Like I'm, And they're like, well, you know, Beth Huff is sitting right over there. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no, you're kidding me. They were like, yes. And so I'm like starstruck, like starstruck, like, no, like this, this is the woman that currently like has helped me shape my foundation as a, you know, first year principal. Um, so my, um, my facilitator, Dr. T, uh, T from Casey, Missouri, the Missouri Casey cohort takes me over, introduces me to Beth. I tell her how amazing this book is. She was like, well, do you have it with you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, go get it. I'm going to sign it for you. So I run back to my room, get the book, come back. She signs it. She said, I got something special for me. She brings me this other book that has led into the work I did this year called Lead with Culture. Um, but I mean, so I had the whole year last year to sit at this woman's feet and really just learn and glean from her wisdom. Um, I'm, I'm in all the work she does. I, I aspire to be the kind of principal she is because when I asked her to do it, she said, well, just know I'm not an expert. And I said, I don't want an expert. I want a practitioner. I want somebody doing the work and she's doing the work every single day of the week. Um, she is affectionately known to me as the Beyonce of education. Uh, <laughs> And then she has three other great women, um, Shelly Burgess, uh, Tracy, and Dr. Harris. All four of them collectively, I call the Destiny's Childs of Education, and we'll get into why that is. Four phenomenal, phenomenal women doing some work that is unprecedented in this time. So I just want to give you a little bit of a preview of who this woman that is sitting here that we're about to basically glean this phenomenal wisdom from over the next hour, who she is to me. And with that, I'm going to pass off with just one question to start this off is I want her to talk to you about... Who is Beth Huff and what was her educational journey was like? So Beth, Beyonce, the floor is yours. Thank you, first of all, so much. I, I think when we talked about this a little bit, I said, okay, we should just stop now because Vashon has set this up for me. I don't know that I can really do myself any more justice than Vashon just did right there. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, like you said that, I mean, you you are doing the work and it's been an honor for me to watch you do all the amazing things that you're doing within your buildings. And I'm honored that you asked me to be on here. I definitely was nervous because I'm like, Hey, I'm not an expert. I'm just trying to figure this out and trying to do best by our kids and our staff and our families. Um, but take you a little bit about uh, back to me and, and my why and why I do what I do in, in the book is that I, so I, I when I, when I share this, I want to get the chance to present in person I show a picture of myself sitting on my dad's lap um, and many moons ago. And my parents found out that they were going to be parents at the age of 14. And so that was something that, you know, I didn't really until I became a parent. And now I have a 16 year old. It's scary for me to think of, wow, how my parents did that. And so my life like was not, um, I wasn't a planned, you know, a person that was planned. I had a lot of great influence of my grandparents. That's something that Vashon and I, um, we definitely have a, a, a kindred spirit there and our grandmothers that helped us get through. And I always wanted to be a teacher because I, my teachers made a difference in my life, some for the better and some for the worse. I had teachers that saw the potential in me and really worked to try to bring that out. And then I had other teachers 
that judged me because of who I was, what my last name might have been, where my zip code was. And so I definitely wanted to go into education for that reason. Became a teacher, loved being a teacher, and had the chance to participate in a really cool program Missouri had for a while called um, Select Teachers as Regional Resources. So I had the two years where I had phenomenal professional development. Rita Pearson, Bob Marzano had amazing PD. And then the next year I was on sabbatical out and I was providing free professional development to teachers across mid-Missouri. So during that year, I was walking in classrooms, working with, with schools. I worked with 40 different schools and I recognized something very quickly. Like we all know the teacher is the number one factor um, in the success of a child's education. We know that like through school. But what I recognize is the buildings that I was going into that I, I, that I could not stand going into, that I just had that pit in my stomach when I would pull up there were not great leadership. There was not great leadership happening there because great teachers don't like to work for ineffective leaders. And so I recognized that very early on and I never wanted to be a principal. And then I recognized at that moment, I realized if I want to make an impact, if I want to change some of these practices that maybe aren't so great, I need to look at going into a, a little different lens. And so long story short, there was an opening I didn't have my degree, but I figured out how to get into a program and got my degree and um, was honored to become a principal. And two weeks before school started, uh, we, we received a letter from the federal government that said, hey, your school is considered failing. You're on this list. Your kids have school choice. And, you know, congratulations on becoming a new principal. And so from like the immediate moment I became a principal, I, I started chasing data because I knew that was the only way that I could get our school where that it where it needed to be. And um, I wish that that was not necessarily the way I started my principalship. Um, that first year, I, I lost a student um, to a horrific accident. I had a staff member's son pass away. We had so much tragedy in the midst of all that being considered uh, um, failing. So very early on in my leadership journey, I felt alone. I felt isolated, and I knew I was like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. Well. Flash, like fast forward to 2014, we got out of school improvement. We, you know, we made, we made a lot of changes, um, but I was burnt out. I was done. I was, I was looking at becoming a nurse. I had looked at Lincoln university where my mother had gone to school. And I, I, I decided that's, that was going to be my trajectory. I was going to go and, and become a late in career nurse. And then I had a colleague say, Hey, have you ever like, there's a national principal conference in Nashville. I don't know about y'all, but I have never been to Nashville, but I heard it was a fun place. So I was like, maybe let's let's go to Nashville. I wasn't really concerned about the conference, but I went there and my life was changed. Uh, I bumped into some principals from New Jersey and we sat down together and over nachos and wings, we, you know, I, I was telling my story and this principal whose name was Jay Billy said to me, hey, are you on Twitter? And I said, I have a Twitter. I don't know what to do with it. I don't really care what is going on in pop, pop life culture that I don't see on Facebook. And he pulled my phone out. He's like, okay, you're not following the right people. He's like, all these people that you look up to are on Twitter 24 seven free PD. He said, you're also not burnt out. You're just, you, you are in survival mode and you're lonely in a not creepy way. I mean, he wasn't being creepy about it. So, and I, he showed me right away how I could follow all of these ed leaders and inspirational people. And then he said, Hey, have you ever heard of Dave Burgess teach like a pirate? And I, and I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, I taught like my hair is on fire and taught like a champion and all the other things. Why pirate? He said, watch him tomorrow. He's doing the talk at whatever time. And so I, went back to my room that night. I Googled teach like a pirate. Cause I'm like, okay, I need to know whether or not this person's legit. And I found a blog post by Shelly Burgess, uh, my dear friend now and my co-author. And 
in that post, it was all about passion, immersion, rapport, asking and analyzing um, transformation and enthusiasm. And it was about how to lead with those letters. And at that moment, I recognized it was life-changing, really life-changing, because I was trying to lead the way I thought I needed to lead, the way that the principles before me led, the way that my principles led, and I didn't lead the way I taught, which was like me. And at that moment, I realized I had to completely change the way I was doing leadership. I went back to my building that fall, and it was a transformation. We decided we wanted, we were devoted to creating a school that not only you know, the test scores, I know they matter at some point, but we wanted a school that our kids, that our staff, that our families, that myself as a principal, were running to get in, not out. How could we create those experiences? So that's kind of the backstory. And then the book came from that year because my life was changed because of that year. Um, so much that at the midpoint I had it, my superintendent said, hey, we have an opening at the middle school. And I was like, hey, I'll help you find a new middle school principal. I'm so excited to sit on that panel with you. And he's like, no, we would really like you to go there. And long story short, that's I'm at the middle school now. This is my sixth year there. And I, I was very nervous. But again, the whole point of that year was all about making that transition being comfortable with my uncomfort zone, transforming all of the mundane into something. And, and really uh, what I talk about a lot at the beginning of the book, which has really led my work until today too, is you know my why. We, we, have, we have people when we're, we're working together, when you read the book, your top three favorite movies of all time, which seems silly, but when you look at your top three favorite movies, they tend to have a, a common theme. And my top three favorite movies as of today, and I haven't watched a movie in forever because of just life right now, it seems like I always go back to Goonies and Bridesmaids and typically, um, oh, Wizard of Oz or something like that, you know, and there is a theme between those movies and it's, it is all about the underdog. And that's something for me because that was my own life. Like I was, I was definitely an underdog. And what I've come to realize though, in my work, as we start to talk about how can, you know, how can I, as a, a white educator, impact the work. Um, I also have the chance to teach a, a course at a college. And, and one thing our college students, we've really been looking at too, is you know what? Yes, I was an underdog, but my life wasn't harder though because of the color of my skin growing up. And that's one thing that at, through my work with anti-racism and becoming a more anti-racist educator, I've come to realize that. I, I've come to understand those pieces and how I've got to do better um, for my students that I serve. Um, I didn't necessarily look at that. And I think I talked with you all, if Shelly and I, one thing that we didn't include specifically in the book that if we could go back and add more to is being more specific with equity and not just using equity as a big piece, but really looking at how can we um, make sure that we're, you know, not just, it's not just about underdogs, it's about everybody. How can we make sure that we're being more racially equitable in the work that we do every day as well? So I know this is a really long answer to a short question, Rashawn, but it also goes into, um, you know, how can we, Shelly and I, where did the book come from? Is I, I met Dave, I, I met Dave through Jay. We started corresponding. They had a Twitter chat. I got to know Dave and Dave introduced me to Shelly. And Shelly and I just became instant, you know, just friends through social media. And they said, hey, we're noticing that you're doing all this stuff. You're bringing the Teach Like a Pirate book to life in the leadership realm would you be interested in co-writing this book with Shelly? And so through Google Docs, we started writing Lead Like a Pirate before we had even had the chance to meet. And that book, the whole goal of our book was to be the support that new leaders need to have, to know that no matter what it is that you're going through, hey, we've, we've got you, we're here for you, we're, we're here to be a support system for you. And that really is what our hashtag Lead LAP, Lead Lap chat is all about is 
we are support 24 seven to leaders, no matter what, so that you don't feel like that you're alone. So hopefully that, and then the book just made basically kind of like Vishan said is we try to be very practical in our approaches. Shelly and I are also both very uh, much behind the, the professional learning community model of mission vision driven and um, collective commitments and you know bringing things back to that that compelling why so a lot of our our work um it's not just you know it's 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 the fun stuff too like we we like to transform anything that can be made memorable we'd like to transform that but we also grounded in research without reading it like research if that makes sense so that's a little bit about a long answer to a very short um question that you asked it was a perfect answer though so we appreciate all the background knowledge so uh the trio is now complete because we got ball in the building so ball go ahead and have you check in man do your thing how's oh. you been the last two weeks been good uh it's been a crazy you know last two weeks i mean you know everything that's going on you know trying to lead a school in a remote setting and you know this last week with uh the the death of rbg and then the brianna taylor um, announcement uh, or a couple of days ago, just just a lot, just a lot going on, and just feeling a little tension there. But it's all good. I'm I'm happy to be back together with you all. Uh, Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it, it's great to to see you again and connect. Um, a lot that you were were talking about uh, in that answer, you know, resonated with me. Um, just uh, I was still uh, in the classroom teaching, and I was. Uh, getting my admin certification, one of our requirements was to join a uh, professional organization. So I joined NASSP in 2014 and I ended up going to the conference in 20, in 2014 in Dallas. And, uh, you know, I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't into the Kardashians and all those types of things. And then um, Daisy Dyer Durr, who was the uh, digital principal of the year that year, she grabs my phone in one of the sessions, like, you need to be on Twitter. And uh, I mean, it, it opened up so many things for me. I wouldn't be connected uh, to, to, to this fine group right now if it hadn't started way back then. Um, so, you know, just thank you for that story. And, and it's really important for us to know, you know, who you are, where you're at, and, and how you're doing the work. So thank you for that intro. Um, I'm gonna ask the next question. One of the things that you talked about was the importance of diving into data why is that so important to you as a brand new principal? Uh, so, you know, a couple of us are just in our first couple of years as principals. And so, you know, why is that so important? Well, I think data just really, I mean, and, and I think sometimes data gets a bad rap because data is only as good as, as what you're looking at. And, you know, when we went into shutdown mode back in the spring, um, people said, oh, you can't look at data. Well, yeah, you can. You, the data just looks a little differently. Like we sent forms out to our families weekly on, you know, how are you doing? How can we help? That's data. So same thing now with my staff. I That's something that I do um, usually every other week. But how are you doing? We are in person, full in person. We do have some students doing virtual, but again, checking in and getting that data, figuring out, okay, our staff, my staff needs this, or they need this, or they need this. The kids need this, this, or this. So um, you don't know if you don't take time to ask those questions for sure. Um, also just, you know, when it's not, and um, we, to start this year, you know, we have had the chance to get some academic data on our kids too. Um, it's everywhere and figuring out how to make it meaningful. I saw a quote the other day, um, I can't remember who um, actually said by, um, it's by Chris Lehman, who was digital principal of the year last year with me for NASSP. And he said some a question, uh, it was all about how can we as principals basically make life easier for all of the other educators in our building. And, and I didn't do justice of his quote, but I've thought of that a lot right now with data too. We shouldn't 
especially right now where everyone is so overwhelmed with everything going on, how can we make data easier to digest? And so for me, that's that's part of my job. Um, and then our leadership team as well. So we have a, a, re a very strong leadership team. I think specifically too, when we're looking um, through the lens of um, anti-racist work, it's like for us, like looking at our discipline referrals, like that's something that we have analyzed a lot more. And not just specifically like we're noticing gender like that's another whole piece of things like why are our boys in, like having more referrals in middle school i mean we know why right we if those have been in middle school we know middle school is a hard time but like so not only that we're noticing that it's a problem and what are we doing with the data and i think for me that that plc work that i've done um that has helped me because it's helped me be able to say okay let's look at the data but then let's do something with it you can't just admire a problem you have to say okay then let's take it down into chunks so that we can figure out what we're going to do with it as well. So when we look at, and we actually, our next, um, we have a professional development day each month. And so next month, um, we really, now that we've got, we've been in school about four weeks, we feel like even though things are still not typical, we're starting to get our bearings. We feel like we're ready to start talking about academic data a little bit deeper now. At the beginning of the year, we were not there. That would have just put, we were still trying to figure out how to use all of the different tools we had, um, and so I think that making things meaningful, making things, you know, how can we like finding out what staff needs to, to be able to look at that data and then looking at varying forms of data. So like when we make our improvement plan, we don't just look at discipline referrals, you know, we don't just look at academic data. We don't just look at, so we look at several different areas of the whole child so that we can make sure that we're meeting all of those needs. And then we whittle down and make a few attainable like goals instead of saying, okay, we're going to do da uh, goals on data that's that's super deep and a mile long, if that makes sense. So Solution Tree has been, Solution Tree and a few other places like our MLDS and some of the other supports in Missouri have been so helpful to us too on just the forms and the flow charts. I know that's not the fun part of our job, but yet I, I can get excited about data sometimes too, because it tells a story, right? And it can help us um, really support support people that that need it just looking at the right data and looking at it through the right um with the right lens so i want to um because we're going to kind of and kind of get into some of the anti-racism work before i get to that i want to talk i mean, want you to talk about kind of just the impact that the lead lab chat has had that you feel has had on education which kind of then morphed into the lead lab grit, grit crew edu so can you kind of just talk about how that all um came to be came to be Definitely. So um, also, and I, somebody asked, like added a good comment in there about becoming anti-racist like a pirate. Um, one thing that Shelly and I did is um, neither one of us ever thought of ourselves as authors. I still sometimes forget to say, oh yeah, I do. I am, I am an author. That is, I guess, something that I can say about myself. But um, one thing that we really wanted to do was highlight other practitioners doing the work. And so we actually have a specific um, line of books that we we've worked with other leaders that are that are doing amazing work, and we actually have um, Rosa I, Rosa Isaiah that is working on a book that is about leading with equity, and she's a phenomenal uh, phen phenomenal leader. Um, she has uh, works with the hashtag We Lead Ed, and has been doing amazing work with equity. She works with Solution Tree. She's actually coming to Missouri and doing, oh, well, she will be doing it virtually now. So I'm excited to hear her speak in a couple of weeks. But that is one. Jay Billy wrote another book. Um, there's others, several that are that are in the works right now. But that's one thing that we are doing. So definitely, definitely something that we're trying to do there. Um, so Lead Lab, um, Lead Lab, Shelly and I actually kind of that originated. It, um, there's a chat called Sat Chat that was started several years ago in New Jersey. 
And Shelly ran the West Coast version of that Sat Chat West Coast. And it was at, you know, 7.30 in, on the Pacific time. Uh, and then I would jo- I joined that chat once I, once I learned about Twitter chats. And it was all about leadership. And it was one of the things I just did on Saturday mornings. Well, the chat kind of, um, the, her co-host that she had kind of dropped out. And so I joined her and we did that chat on Saturday mornings. It was just about leadership. And then once we really built the the Lead Lab community, we made the shift to, instead of SatChat West Coast, it became Lead Lab. And it just became kind of that living PLN. We would meet kind of together on Saturday mornings, and then we would add to it all week long. So we would share the different things going on in our buildings all week long with that hashtag. But we, um, for, I can't even remember how many years we've been doing it now, but the, the, the chat has been just a way to bring us together. And then um, it's ba- it, it used to be just different leadership topics, um, people writing books that wanted to share about their book or just a topic here and there. And we really felt like we started, Shelly and I were both feeling like we're making impact, but it just it didn't feel right. We just didn't feel like we were making the right impact. And in June, early June, we knew we had had chats on equity work. We had had chats um, led by different people. Um, talking about anti-racism, but we knew that this is not something we knew. We weren't, I don't know that proud is the right word, but we were not proud at where we were. We didn't want to be a random every once in a while leadership chat. And at that point, um, Tracy Browder, who had led a chat just about um, the way we talk to people within leadership, and that morphed into um, Don Harris joined us. And they both had have done anti-racist work in, um, in the field. And somehow it was like serendipity that the four of us met together and an incredible bond was built. And it was so, it was, it was, it was great because that they were ready to, with anti-racist work. And this is the part where I was, I was nervous to come on because I'm not an expert. I'm not ever going to like, I, I want to be better every day. I, I am committed to being better every single day, but I also don't want to appear that I'm trying to take credit for work that so many have done before me. And, and I don't, so that was one thing we talked about is like, how can Shelly and I need to be the backup dancers a lot of time and really highlight these amazing black women because the work that they've done and the pain they've endured through education and the stories that they tell us, the stories that they're not ready to tell publicly. Like we um, it's been an amazing um, bond that we've been able to have. And we've been committed to that work since that. And, and people keep asking, oh, is this just a summer series? And we said, no, it's, it's not a summer series Um, because this work has to be, this is the thing about PLC that I wish that I could go back to because with PLC, for those of you that are versed in it, it's built on collaborative culture. But I feel like that is, the other piece of it is it should also be equity cannot be a side dish. It cannot be a, oh, well, it's going to be um, the checkbox of something that we're, or our focus of the year is equity. No, the lens of everything we do has to be through a lens of equity, just like a lens of collaborative culture in that PLC piece. It can't be a, well, we're going to look at this, this, this. and No, we're going to look at equity of everything. Every time we're making a decision, this is something that we're thinking about. So, um, that was something that that we said we are we are dedicated to, to to doing this work, and how awesome Vishan jumped in right away. Like whenever we we, we the topics um, most of the time we the topics came just from what was going on in the world that week. And a lot of times we used to um, schedule out the topics because then we would get people to do it. And a lot of times we would forget 
like we wouldn't speak to what was happening right in front of us. And um, just for the sake of, um, oh, I guess being able to schedule, you know, or to, to make it easier um, for two people that were busy. So um, we've talked, um, I think from the beginning, you know, we just talked about awareness, but then we really worked into a, how are we going to do this? How do we develop a crew? Because this work is hard. How do we have a great crew? And that, that word came really from Tracy and Don. Um, because it takes, you know, I know grit can have a negative connotation as well, but they talk about, you know, like in order to, to get through this work and to have this work with the setbacks that continue to happen every single day, you have to have a group of people that you can go to and say, okay, this happened. How am I going to get through this? You know, I had something happen at the very end of the day, um, that, set me back again um, that I'm going to have to work on throughout the weekend to, to work through. And I'm going to go to those close grit crew, P, like EDU folks that I have on, on my squad that are helping me with that. So, so the topics have then, and, and then Don and Tracy themselves are working, they kind of um, are working on an anti-racist curriculum. And I want to use that carefully because there's not just a curriculum that's made. You can't just buy something to say, and now you're, you know, here's your curriculum for anti-racism, but they've really worked through resources to help us, because that's the whole piece of lead lap kind of coming together with Grit Crew EDU, is here are tangible things you can take and use that are going to help you. And their work has been amazing. They're actually doing some work with some districts now too on that work. Um, and they're helping me out a lot. They're, they're kind of helping me um, within my my school as well. So that's been uh, the, the big focus. And so we, we're kind of now at a point where we're like, okay, We've got a plan that we're rolling out where we start the month with kind of a faculty meeting. And then um, and, and, and in that, we, we highlight specific topics, but then we've also interviewed different educators and told their story and then come back on. And then I know, um, and Bashan, you'll be getting a message soon. I know next, um, next month, we really want to look at how can we interview a panel that are, that are doing the work in their school, Vashan being one of them that's been very active from the beginning and then you know asking questions and then taking that to the group too. So that's just a little bit of, of the work. And, and I'm just I'm excited that we have a group of people that have been with us from the beginning, but then we still get other people that come in to each week that maybe are new. So I'm not sure if that was exactly, Vishan, what you were wanting me to share with that. Uh, yeah, it was. So I, <clears throat> I guess the question I wanna go to next is, I feel like right now, anti-racism is a buzzword that kind of everybody's just throwing out around there. So can you talk to us about what is the practical day-to-day -day things that you've done in that anti-racism work at your school? Because that was, and I want to make sure we um, honor, you, you know, Mrs. Ca Ms. Castro, who brought this to our attention at the last episode, because she wanted to know, what are those practical things as a white educator you, that you can do? Because sometimes I guess white educators are afraid to even have the conversation. Mm -hmm. So what are some practical things that you've done this school year after all the work you did this summer with the rest of Destiny's Child? Um, to, to kind of start the year, what are the things that you've done in that in the, in the interim? So, well, I think I think the biggest thing. Um, this is a topic that's been um, something I've been very passionate about for a while, um, and then, but I've recognized um, since the death of George Floyd specifically that I haven't been vocal enough about it. I've always been worried um, that I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm just going to be real. Like I'm, I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing, and I'm going to offend. I'm not really scared about offending another white person. That's not really what my worry is. I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing and 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 definitely offend one of my black students or a black teacher or uh, one of my, you know, my, and that's the stuff like I don't, I, I get so worried about that. I could care less about the the person that I feel like is the racist, you know? And I think 
Um, but what I recognize, I got called out on Twitter and I, and it was a, it was a life changer for me because a person said, I forget that I have more than a few followers on Twitter. I don't, I never care about a number. That's not why I went into Twitter. Um, I got into Twitter again to find a group of people that I can like support and can help support me. So, but a person called me out and said, you know, I've noticed nobody said anything about something or another, you know, and, and that hit me. I'm like, you know, I didn't say anything. And I went back and I, I immediately, and not only did I do it on Twitter, I did it on Facebook because Facebook has been my little, little, like my, my more family and my, you know, the cousins and grandma and grandpa and all that. And I think for that's where you can start. If you don't know where to start, it starts here. And I think so many times we wait for our schools to professional develop us on all of these things. And, and I, I can't, my, whether or not your district is going to do work with this or not, you know, you don't always have a a control over that. However, I can get books and read. I can read articles. I can connect with amazing people like I'm right with right now to learn and learn and learn because it starts with you. Like if you don't take that time to learn um, and then the next, obviously just learning a bunch of stuff isn't going to make a change. Um, I am, um, and I, I shared this, I get nervous whenever I'm in, in person though, like I, hopefully I won't forget, but Zaretta Hammond, her amazing book, um, talks about the brain, right? And that's the thing for me that once I recognize that when we talk about any of the isms, that's not typically a comfortable conversation because we haven't, that's not, you know, it's been a taboo topic in, in a lot of people's lives. And when I recognize that, I think it's chapter four in that book, that your amygdala like gets highlighted or, or gets like goes into hijack mode because it wants to fight, flight or freeze. But when you use knowledge to help overcome that, then you are able to start having those conversations easier and it's not so scary. Um, so I think that's part of it. I know that's a little, um, I'm, I am totally a nerd, even though people don't like know that about me. I love, like I read like crazy. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then finding that group of people that you can talk to about things that are going to tell you, you know, um, that was a big piece for me. And then, and then I think the question really talked about, so what do you do? Well, you know, conversations can be one-on-one, you know, I think I shared something with you all last time, you know, I have, when students do things that, and a lot of my students, they don't, they don't always know, but I can't use that as an excuse. You know, I have just a situation today where a student used a word that is not okay, but they said, well, but so-and-so said it was okay for me to use. I said, no, that's not like sitting down and having those conversations with kids and then having those conversations with family. Um, Something that we do specifically, um, teaching tolerance has a great so many, I had the chance that Val Brown is a phenomenal, um, such a phenomenal person, human in, in, in general, but I had a chance to spend a day with her looking at social justice workshop this past winter. And she she took us through the whole how to speak out against hate. And it, it, it was a phenomenal training, but I took it back to my staff and then we did that. So that as a staff, we could start really looking at, at that. But then this year we took it back to our kids and really talking about how do I, because the kids just don't always have the tools to do that. And I think we just assume that kids are going to know how to do that, especially middle schoolers. Again, middle schoolers, there's no filter there. So little things like that, that, that have huge impact. Um, something else that our, um, that we are doing, we, we used to do class meetings a lot as a, as a whole grade level. And one thing though is not, um, we're not doing that as much this year with social distancing and everything. And 
but we are going, my assistant principal and I are going in and talking about how to have positive discourse because that's one thing right now. We have so many kids that have um, in the middle of Missouri, we have so many kids that have like, well, I love this and I love this, but I hate you because you love Trump and I hate you because you love that. And it's, we don't know how to respect that, you know, there are going to be some people that like it. And it, it's hard because, you know, we can't have an opinion about certain things. We have to make sure that we're, we're keeping our um, beliefs, certain beliefs you want to keep kind of undercover there, but talking about to kids about how it's not okay um, to, to be hateful to your neighbors in the classroom because of the, their beliefs um, and modeling through that. We're a restorative practice school. So that's one thing we, we utilize um, restorative circles a lot when processing through and having kids work through problems instead of just being punished for doing something has been huge as well for us. So, so I don't know if that's a little bit of what you wanted me to share there too. You know me, I get going sometimes and then you have to tell me to stop. So, <laughs> so, so, so Beth, uh, uh, something you said that, that struck to me, and I'm going to pose this question for, for everybody, kind of turn this good, uh, conversation. So two things you said, you talked about uh, if you're in a district that is apprehensive about having the conversation about um, racism and things like that, like how as a, and I would just say, how as a white educator can you, and you know, the educators that we have on here, because we want to give practical tools, how can you still have that conversation, even though maybe the higher ups don't have it, but also, you know, a conversation that doesn't come up when we talk about the isms, right? Racism and sexism, like how, how do women in leadership still thrive in an area where it could be dominated by men and how do you break through that? Um, and th different things like that. So to the group, you know, first, what, what do we do? What do educators do, particularly white educators there in a district? And that district doesn't want to have that conversation, but you know deep down inside it's important. But you, so how do you lead that conversation without getting yourself in trouble? Mm -hmm. Well, I can kind of start, but I know you want the group to answer too. Mm -hmm. So I'll kind of watch the, the comments so that I don't, I don't want to speak over anyone at all. Um, but again, I think, I think it, we talked a little bit about this when we pre-talked as yeah. well. I think that you need to know those you serve, right? You need to know those you serve. If you do not know, I have been blessed to be in a community for, for many years now. Mm -hmm. I'm not from here, but I know the families. I am in middle school. I have kids in sixth grade that I had in kindergarten. I have had mm -hmm. siblings. So knowing your families, knowing, um, taking time to have dinner table conversations with families. And um, I think taking like really taking time to know those you serve because if, if I just go in and start if I like you need to I have I think a quick question is how much freedom do I have as a principal I have a lot of I, I have a lot of freedom in what I do for the most part my district is smaller um, I'm the only middle school um, but you know as an elementary principal when I shared other things you know we we tried to collaborate as much as possible we have six building leaders in our district and we try really hard to do a lot of collaborative work um, but I think that uh, I struggle because we don't necessarily have a, a district way of, of doing things. So I have to rely on my own knowledge. And I go to the places like teaching tolerance or like those other things, like other resources that are there. And then, and, and be very, you have to be mindful of the, um, you have to be mindful of your district expectation because, right? You have to, I mean, the bottom line is you don't want to lose your job. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. That's the thing, you know, you just you have to, but again, no one can argue that it's not okay. like hate is not okay. Like, so that is a topic that we can have conversations about pretty easily because it is not okay. 
Um, and then two, I think you have to think about like how you have conversations with, with kids and, and just, I don't know. I know it's hard because there's not a, there's not a secret recipe to the, the work. It's for me though, it's speaking up when things are not okay and making sure that kids know, um, um, something that Val taught me that's so simple is saying, ouch, like when someone says something that is hurtful to you, just say, making sure that say, ouch. And then, and the teachers know in our, we do, we are committed to the work. And so we are, this is an ongoing um, work for us, but knowing that, hey, you don't have to be the expert as a teacher either. I'm not the expert, but you know what? Let me come on in and let me come on in and help support you. So I'm seeing some good, some good people adding to the chat too. I think, so, I think there's a great point here that you all wanted me to hit on too, is like, it's important, like, obviously it's important to do the work everywhere, but I, I feel pretty strongly that it's super important to do the work when there's not a lot of diversity. Because when kids, I mean, that's the piece, like, mm -hmm. you know, I read so many awesome articles about diversifying our libraries and making sure, actually making sure that we have libraries that match the classrooms we have. Well, I don't totally agree with that because if we have, a, if I have an all white classroom, I'm not, I don't want to have an all white library because that is not showing our kids the world around them mm -hmm. and do a disservice to our kids when we are not um, diverse in, in everything that we have, regardless of, of, of what's going on um, necessarily in our classroom, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So one thing that you talked about, Beth, is, is getting to know your community. Um, for me, last year was my first year uh, in my site. And I just kind of came in and, and just was myself, my authentic self. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked about it before. Um, I'm the only black principal in my district. And just being comfortable in myself in that type mm -hmm. of situation and just being authentic and, and really growing into that because, you know, coming up, you, you, you kind of find your place and don't want to shake things up too much. But um, I, I found over the last two years that, you know, you have to be who you are. And I think uh, as a school leader, you know, that gives comfort to my staff and to my families. And when I say, hey, you know what, we're going to talk about racism, we're going to talk about all the isms that, that go along, you know, folks, when, when I shared that, I kind of shared some of that over the summer, folks started to, to latch on and, and respond like, yeah, we need to do this because we're not talking about it. Like, I've never had a conversation with a black person. Like, these are some of the some of the responses that I was getting. And so, you know, just being brave enough to step out there and provide, um, you know, just provide that that opportunity for people uh, because, you know, folks are going to be open to it. And if, if they've never, never had the opportunity, us as leaders, we have to be prepared to do that. It's amazing how many people want to do better, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes like that's one thing. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that I think people, most people in education, especially want to do better. Um, we just as leaders got to continue to push that so that we, we are not okay with that status quo or that, oh, well, we've got too much on our plate. So we're not going to talk about this. No, we, we've got to talk about it. Our kids are talking about it. Our kids are talking about it every single day. Absolutely. Um, part of their life. And uh, we've got to, you know, show them that we support them. Yeah, hey, Bob, yeah. real quick, I want you, because uh, your teacher said, talk about the powerful community letter that you wrote. Go ahead, uh, give us a little bit on that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, 
over the, the early summer and the spring um, after George Floyd was um, w- was killed, you know, I was going through a lot of motions, you know, we're in lockdown, quarantine and all those types of things. And, you know, things were coming up in the media and things like that. And, and you know, I was it, it took a lot. And I know um, one of the uh, educators is on here, Kenny Khan. He's in my district as well. Uh, he, he, he he's black and he's Jewish and he had. Um, he wrote a little piece uh, explaining about his his perspective as a as a black man, and um, and and that really inspired me because you know I, w- I was struggling, going through a lot of emotions, and so I just put it put it to to words what I was thinking. So I'm a runner, and uh, when Ahmad Aubrey was killed, you know I was thinking like, man, that could be me because I run super early in the morning, and I and and I'm like one of the you know, there's not a lot of black people on the road, like running, period. And it's at 430 in the morning, like it's pitch black. So I got all this reflective gear on. I got a headlamp just because I'm afraid, like if I if someone sees me out there running by myself, you know, and, and I'm just wearing regular clothes, that could be an issue for me. Mm. And I'm I live in a brand new development as well. And they're building houses right across the street from me. And, and one day I decided that, hey, you know, let me go check out what's going on. And I came out and I came home and I talked to my wife and she's like, what are you thinking? And I'm and I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, I mean, it, it's real. Like the, the the fear that exists just existing as a black person is real. And I just kind of shared that with my community. And uh, again, it, it took a lot for me to put it put it down uh, on my on my blog and then share it with my community. But again, I think that it was powerful just because folks don't under understand that uh if if you haven't grown up black or in a situation where you're one of the only you don't know what it's like and so i just shared that and it it was powerful for the community and like i I got a lot of positive responses for it and so people are thinking they're like wow they're they're looking at me differently but in a way like wow he's got a different experience than i than i thought he actually had That's amazing. And that's, it's so inspiring to hear those stories of that. And um, Henry Turner, who is a big part of our, of our lead lab group, um, wrote a very similar letter. He is a, a black principal in a predominantly white school. And he shared that with me. And that's kind of was a kick in the butt for me too, saying, Hey, Hey, I need to make sure that I, that I, why am I not like, again, my silence is not okay. Like I need to, whether it's uncomfortable or not, it's not about me. Like, how can I reach out to my families and let them know um, that, that, you know, and, and that my letter I'm, was nothing as beautiful as what you wrote, I'm sure, but just letting them know where I stand matters for sure. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to recap kind of what I talked about in the last show. Um, you know, the first thing is you need to educate yourself. I don't care. Like I said, if you're a black leader or a white leader, Hispanic leader, Asian, like you first have to educate yourself as to what's going on um, in your community, as well as, you know, in the country and around the world. And then what is your why? Why are you going into this work? Because and I said this on the last show that your why is going to be questioned, you know, because there's people that don't want this work to take place. Um, and I feel like there was a um, as soon as I said that, it came back to kind of haunt, not really haunt me, but I had to come back and really take that my same advice because that following week, if you follow me on social media, you know, I put, I posted the picture of the I Can't Breathe um, bulletin board that's in my building. Um, and it got major, you know, positivity. Uh, I, I, as soon as I posted it, 
I text some of my support group. And by this is like five, it was like six, seven o'clock in the morning. And I said, hey, I don't know which way this is going to go. So I'm going to need you all to pray for me because I, you know, and because in the back of my head, I'm just going to be real transparent. I'm thinking of what Dave did this summer the whole time. <laughs> so and I, and I tell people all the time, like Dave was a trailblazer that I, I feel like was the trailblazer. So I didn't catch as much heat, you know, as I did because, I mean, it got good play on Twitter, Facebook, everything like that. But I did get one parent of one of my students who reached out to me um, very respectfully and kind of just gave their thoughts on why it was inappropriate for the school building for something like that to be up. And I gave them my why, you know, and I think sometimes when we have these conversations, we forget to give people the why, why we're doing things. Um, and the one thing that I didn't want to happen, I didn't want my message. My, I didn't want my why to be lost in the message the way I was being, the way it was being delivered. So, you know, um, so that was one thing that made me reflect. I was like, okay, is the way I'm delivering this, losing the why behind it because the why for me and that that bulletin board is to spark conversation and to be able to help my students understand you can have a conversation when have with someone that has a complete opposite viewpoint as you and it could be an engaging conversation and you're not trying to convince them to change their mind they're not trying to convince you but you should be able to understand what each other each person is coming from and that's kind of the why behind this work that i'm trying to do within my building you know with the book that um you know my blt this summer you know why are the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria dr tatum and now we're getting ready to roll that out to the rest of our staff is because I want my teachers to reflect on themselves. I want them to understand that sometimes we have implicit biases that we don't know about until somebody puts it, something in front of us that makes us become reflective practitioners. And that's what I want them to do, because I said, when, I, when you deliver content, I want that content to be free of any ism or any bias that may be there that's coming from you. I want you to present it in a neutral form, presenting all sides of the argument, and then let our students deduce their own meaning from that information or whatever. So that's what, so basically kind of go back to say, you know, educate yourself and then develop that why, because trust me, that why is going to be challenged. It's going to be challenged and you're going to have to be able to defend it and understand the importance of moving this forward work. I mean, moving this work forward. You know, I think, I think back to when I was in middle school and high school and all the texts that we read and, and the history books and the, the story that it painted. And I went to a pretty diverse, you know, middle school and high school for the most part. But when I go to like this tough conversation, I saw it in the comments, right? For so many years, black kids and um, Hispanic kids read books about America from a white perspective, right? How much change would it be if, if predominantly white schools, and I would use where I'm from, I'm from Indiana. So let's take rural Indiana and imagine if those kids read about America and learned about America from a black perspective. Like that's changed because those kids that grow up in rural Indiana will eventually live in Indianapolis, right? Very diverse, but their mindset will be so formed on this white America. And that's why we get in some of the issues that we got into because these kids grow up, right? Predominantly white kids. And they, they have this fixed mindset about what America is, but yet the yet black kids is stripped from us in elementary, middle, high school. And God forbid, if you don't go to an HBCU, probably college, Right. And we're just supposed to conform. Right. But one of my favorite quotes by MLK is freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. But here's the thing. The oppressor still must have some 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 frame of reference. But these oppressors started off as children who didn't know anything, but they were taught America from a white perspective. And all I'm asking is you want change. Right. Like let these kids in these predominantly white school districts, let them now see America from a black lens. Right. Like Brianna Taylor should be talked about in rural Indiana. 
right? Because that's an adjustment. I don't care how you slice it. And I know I know he didn't say her name, and I know he tried to tiptoe around it. He knows to his core that was wrong, period. There's no way you're going to justify that a bullet gets more justice than a human, a building. And then Mike Vick with the jail for some dogs, and this woman gets shot and killed, and this man gets a slap on the wrist. So, so when I think about this conversation, Ball, listen, every time, man, brother, every time you tell that story about being the only black principal, man, my, my respect goes higher because there's no way. I tell you, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, man. I don't know if it's immature. I'm 32. I'm younger than this. I don't know if it's that. But the, the, the type of strength you have to have, because here's the thing, they need you. So you can't just fly off the cuff all the time. You got to be smart and strategic. And yeah, you can be passionate. And then you're not compromising who you are as a black man, but you got to be strategic because those kids need you. Because the biggest impact, you're going to have impact on those black students. But the biggest impact you're going to have is on those white boys and girls who've never seen a black man in your life. And you're going to change their whole perspective because their frame of reference is LeBron James and Gucci Man, right? In hip hop and entertainment. But they're going to say, I have Mr. Ball, who was a principal. And that's going to be their perspective when they see a black man. 15, 20 years from now, that's why they'll have respect for a black man. That's how we change. But it, it, but that's where I want to get to as a leader. I want to be able to be that for the one or two white students that I have, but ultimately more. Because if we can do that, that's why it's important for black men to be in education. Because we're going to change the perspective for the kids so they don't grow up to be like that man in the White House and some of these other races. I think also it's important, and, it, and it's, like I said, it all played out the way it was supposed to. The same day that I posted my picture of the billboard or the bulletin board, I had a situation on my cheerleading squad, you know, and my cheerleading squad, I have uh, 18 cheerleaders on our cheerleading squad, 16 of them are African-American, two of them are white. And basically our African-American cheerleaders were making fun of the white cheerleaders, you know, talking about them and things like that. And, you know, I took them back to the billboard and I used it as a tool to help them see like, it's just because you have this color skin or you have this rhythm or whatever, like, but that doesn't give you the pass to pick on somebody, to put somebody else down or whatever. Like, I feel like as a leader, we have to be protective of all our kids. I mean, we're black male leaders, but we got to protect our white kids. We have to protect our LBGTQ kids. We, I, I, and I told those girls that I am charged with protecting every 600, all 630 kids that walk through this building. Like no one gets a pass if you're on the wrong side of this. We check in everybody at the door, no matter who you are. Yeah, yeah. So, so Beth, I, I had a question, cause I did some, um, um, some research, I couldn't dive into the whole book. But one of the pieces that stood out to me, um, and, and maybe you can clarify this for me, just as I read the book. So on the website, it says, pirates with an S are on a constant quest for riches, but pirate, no S leaders, seek even greater reward, amazing schools. So just help me and help us decipher between that meaning between pirates and a pirate leader. So I know that that is a play on words, you know, a little bit. <laughs> that, you know, definitely is a little, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is all about that P-I-R-A-T-E. And it goes into that, you know, passion. There's a there's a reason why passion is, is first. And that is that why um, you can't fake passion. Uh, passion is if you don't have passion for what you do and what drives you every day, if you don't have that compelling why then it's really hard to do any of the other work, you know? And a lot of times when we lose our why or we lose our passion, we get off course, that's the part where we need to recalibrate and we need to, or we need to get out of the field really, to be honest. I mean, cause if you don't have that, um, then, and then it's hard to get it back. But then going into the piece that immersion, um, 
being immersed in the right work. Um, the rapport is that relationships, 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 making sure that those are first, second, next, always, you know, making sure that we're developing those relationships. And like, like, um, Vishan just said so much is all every single one of those 632 students for sure. Um, the same thing for me is how do, how do I build relationships not only with the kids, but with our staff? How do we, um, I think that's one big thing uh, when we talk about ask and analyze in the book, it's all about how do we coach up? Because a lot, one, my, one of my mistakes I made as a leader, I, I still thought of myself as a teacher and I put kids and we should put kids first, right? That's, but if, if I make sure I take care of the staff and if I appreciate and motivate and inspire mm. the adults in the building, they can then in, 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 in turn better serve our children. And so I, I learned that um, the hard way, I think a little bit too. Um, and then, uh, so coaching, how to do a good job, like how do we go in and coach? The, the number one coaching guide for us is like going in and making sure that we are appreciating the work that the people are doing. So like when we go in and we do our, our you know, our, uh, observations and which are especially trying this year because we I hate putting any more stress on anyone um so going in and always leaving a note of appreciation that's the thing we start with call them anchor conversations you know got to stick with the pirate theme um but going in and the a is for appreciation showing people that you appreciate not that you like or that it's the way to go no it's I appreciate the way that you did this um thank you for taking time to do this um and then going into transformation how can you take your blah and how can you kick it up a notch you know um your your um bulletin board example vishan was was right there i mean you took something and you really kicked it up a notch for sure and then that enthusiasm is the part it's the bookend and it is all about um the enthusiasm is and i think todd whitaker might be the one that says it but no one when you're a leader there's no one in the room that benefits from you saying that you're having a horrible day right (laughs) how can you on those days that you don't have it in you. Like tonight at football supervision where I'm heading next, like it's been a long day, but how can I greet the kids and the fans and everybody and be enthusiastic, um, but be realistic about it, right? Because if you're just fake enthusiasm, it's not necessarily gonna be good too. So so that's that whole pirate here. It, it's definitely all about those aspects that make you unique because you can't replicate that. We each have our own way of doing those things um, and what drives us it's not a it's not a recipe and it's not a cookie cutter um, we each are unique in what we do we have unique strengths and that's what makes us that's what makes an amazing leader an amazing leader an amazing educator is helping to bring out those strengths that are unique and awesome so uh we, we're, we're running up on that hour mark so we're gonna go jump into final thoughts uh i'm a um allow our guest to go first with her final thoughts and then we'll just run down uh the aos row starting with uh, mr mcguire after that and then ball and i'll kind of close us out so beth final thoughts for tonight a final thoughts again i just am honored to be here i i feel like i am in greatness with the three of you and your, your guests that are here i definitely um uh just appreciate i appreciate um all that you're doing um to help make education a better place for for everyone and then the example that you lead every day um, and just, again, the group that you have that is here tonight joining in, uh, deep respect for you. And if there's anything I can ever do, again, I'm not an expert in any ways, but I'm here to be a support and to be a cheerleader. And a and a, I may not know the answer, but I can typically find a person uh, that I can that I can get you to or get you connected with. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing and not giving up and persevering and amazing model for so many that are looking up to you. AOS family, been a, been a dope show, Beth. Thank you again um, for
for for coming on and sharing your wisdom. It, it was inspiring for me, uh, just listening, learning more about what it means to be a pirate leader and, and definitely going to check out the book. And I do have my copy. Uh, and we're also giving away some copies because, you know, we love the giveaway stuff. So, again, those that are rocking in the comments, if you would like the book or know somebody and you say, you know, I know a principal that needs to read this book, definitely hit us up, the AOS podcast at gmail.com. We're good on our word. I told you, we, you want the book, we'll get it to you, and we'll share it. So, again, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, my quick final thought is this. I said something, and it's got me thinking now. You know what? It's about time. It's about time we infiltrate um, and make sure that I now give myself the obligation that I need to make sure that I'm going in spaces, um, dominant white spaces, and, I, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm sharing who I am and what it means to be black in America. Because that's that's going to be my activism. I, I, I'm not in the space to be out in the streets as much anymore, but I'm going to find my own way. So I, I got my own podcast and other things that I do. But definitely here in Indiana, I'm about to push those spaces um, because I think it's important because for too long, we had to conform to America from the viewpoint um, of those that were white. But I think it's time that everybody sees the, the viewpoint of America from what it means to be in black. So, again, I thank everybody for rocking with us, Beth. I appreciate it again. Doc, great calling this. Bob, brother, good to see you again, and I'll pass it off now. Yeah, uh, just to finish up, Beth, again, thank you so much for joining our conversation. Uh, it has been enlightening. It's been uplifting. Uh, and, and I think my biggest takeaway from today's episode is, like, we're not in this alone. Uh, reach out to one another. Lean on each other. Uh, and, and I think it's important. You know, one of the things that I picked up from the book is dealing with critics. And I talked a little bit about being the only in my district and being uh, being a little hesitant and, and afraid of, of, of sometimes rubbing people the wrong way. But, you know, you got to deal with the critics. You got to accept the, the fact that they're going to be detractors out there when you are trying to do the work that's right for not just the black kids, but all of the kids. And, and I think uh, it's, it's really important that uh, we, we do this work because we don't want another generation that's afraid to talk about race and afraid to talk about all the isms and, and engage and, and make change. Because, you know, that's why we show up every single day is to make a difference in the world. And if people are afraid to have conversations, they're not going to make a difference. So, again, thanks, everybody, for showing up and supporting the AOS podcast. We appreciate you. Doc, close us out. So I'm going to close us out with a few things. Um, first of all, you know, I'm going to ask everybody that's in the comments, please share this with a personal message of what you got out the show. And, you know, tag some people's in there. Um, I'm, I'm going to get to Beth in a minute because, like I said, Beth means a whole lot to me. Um, Make sure you check out the Lee Lap chat, 9.30 Central Standard Time on Saturdays. And be looking out for the Realist Ed Movement chat coming soon to y'all. We about to get this chat thing popping off. Uh, and then, like I said, Beth means a whole lot to me. I'm going to give you one quick story before I do my final thought. Um, is that there was a morning I was dealing with some stuff with, uh, with evaluations. And Beth told me to call her and she was going to kind of walk me through some things. And mind you, I leave my house in the morning at 6.20 to drive to my work. It's a 35-minute drive to get to my building. And Beth talked to me at 6.20 in the morning all the way from my house to my school to walk me through how to handle some evaluation situations last year. So I have like the utmost respect for her. The book, Lead Like a Pirate, is the number one thing I would tell you that helped me have the success I had as a first year principal last year. You walk around my building and you will see the priority posters in every one of my classrooms and every one of my office. And that priority poster came right out of that book. I mean, the bit, the bitly came out of that book that helped me develop my priority poster. Um, so Beth truly is... Um, an inspiration to me. 
And that's going to lead me to my final thought because somebody put in the comments, and I can't remember who it was, it might have been your Castro, that says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I want to make sure that we understand that the whole thing we're trying to talk about with the social justice piece is to spark conversation. And I always talk about what is your why. So I want to talk about my why because I think some people misjudged a comment that I made and the, the, the affectionate term that I use with Beth by calling her the Beyonce of education. And it's not about a black thing. I'm just not demeaning or disrespectful. But in my, in my culture, we all know what Beyonce means to black people and the reverence that we have for Beyonce because of her talent. That same reverence that the Beehive has for Beyonce and her talent as a performer is the same reverence I have for Beth and her talent as an educator. I aspire to be like this woman. So when I use that term, it's no disrespect to Beyonce or to Destiny's Child. It is more honor to Beth than anything else. So I just want to make sure I'm clear on y'all know why the why I use that term with her. And if you can't respect that, we can agree to disagree. But I'm going to let you know for sure that that term is still going to be used for her because that's what she means to me. So, Beth, I truly appreciate you coming on, taking time with us. I can't wait to see you tomorrow or to chat with you tomorrow on the Lead Lab. Um, you are, like I said, the Beyonce of education, and you and the Destiny Child keep doing what you're doing to lead the work you do. You have been listening to another edition, episode six of the AOS Podcast. We will holler at you in two weeks. Go, Mom. Peace.